in chapter 20, as today we're going to close out our series, Hope is Here, and uh, Lord willing, we'll be back in our series in 1 Samuel next week. I'm looking forward to that. But I did feel like the Lord wanted us to take an abbreviated time here this morning, or in the last four weeks, and just talk about hope. And uh, our world is in need of hope, and they're looking for hope in every in every corner, every stretch of the imagination is being exercised in mankind uh, as to try to give people hope. And, and that's because people want hope. Some people think their only hope is in government. Some people think their only hope is in science. Some people think that their only hope is in themselves. But we as Christians know that our hope is only through Jesus Christ. Amen. And as we read the word of God each and every week, I think the hard part really is not remembering to read the Bible. I think the hardest part is remembering to believe it and live it. And uh, and so as we talk about that today, we're going to talk about the danger of doubt. In John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20, and then we're going to skip down and go from verses 24 to 29. I want to just lay the scene out here. Jesus has been crucified and is now risen again. What we're going to read is his first appearance to his disciples after the resurrection. And so we know that the tomb was empty when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb and then Jesus appeared to Mary and then they ran back, remember, and they told the disciples and much to their disdain, the disciples doubted and didn't believe either, but they went back and then Jesus appeared. We're going to read about that this morning in John chapter 20. Follow along with me, if you will, beginning in verse 19. Then the same day, that is the day that uh, Jesus rose from the grave, uh, in in uh, 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 that evening, all right, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week. Now, look up here. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. It's always been Sunday. The Jewish week ends on Saturday and begins on Sunday night at six o'clock. That is Sunday morning to them. All right. In, in, in the 24 hour cycle. But the first day of the week has always been Sunday. That means that God ordained Sunday from before the foundation of the world. When he knew that he would kill his son and die on the cross for our sin, he knew what day he would rise again because he's God and he knows all that. And he set the times and seasons knowing what he would create called the church, what he would empower, what he would use called the body of Christ. And so that evening, the Bible says, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, King Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his what? His hands and his side. Why did he show them his hands? Because they were pierced and his side. It was also pierced, right? Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now look down at verse 24. The first two words tell you who we're going to talk about today. It says, but Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, notice this, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, said unto him, we've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, well, except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails. He's not even willing to trust his own eyes. Put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. Now, why did he make that statement? Because they made the statement in the previous verses that they saw what they saw. His hands pierced and his side, right? They saw the scars. So 
he is now using their testimony as the standard. Well, unless I see it, but I'm not even willing to see it. I need to touch it. I need to see it personally, but I want a physical manifestation of this, and I've got to have that assurance in my mind, right? Unless I see those things, the last last part of verse 25, I will not believe. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and he said the same thing, did it all over again. Peace be unto you. Verse 27, <laughs> then saith he to Thomas, by the way, Nobody had to rehearse the words to Jesus. The disciples didn't have to say, Jesus, did you hear what Thomas said last week? When he came in, he wasn't in church. Did you? Nobody had to rehearse it. Why? Because Jesus is God. And he already knew what Thomas said. In fact, my, my opinion is that one of the reasons Jesus showed back up eight days later was because of Thomas. It was only for Thomas. And what God would teach everybody because of Thomas. Notice what it says. Then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. Thomas at this point was struck with a bit of wisdom and Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Verse 29, then saith unto him, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen me and yet have believed. Heavenly Father, I come before you again this morning and I ask that you please help me now, Lord, to be faithful to your word, to be faithful to your spirit. I am totally yielded to you and surrendered and I ask for your help. I need you to convey this message, Lord, today. And uh, Father, I just pray that it would be pleasing to you. I pray that you'd help me to get out of your way by the spirit of God. And that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would use me for your glory and honor. I pray, Lord, a blessing on these people here today that you would simply confer your hand and your power and your grace upon their lives. That you would give them wisdom beyond their years. And Lord, wherever doubt has crept in, that you would conquer that today by grace through faith. Lord, wherever the I need more evidenced Christian is, I pray that you'd help them today right where they are. I pray that you would encourage us through your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've discovered that not only does everyone need some hope, we've also learned that God has hope for everyone when they are willing to come to Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior. We heard about the rest and the hope that we have for those who are burdened with life, for whatever reason we're burdened. And we also discovered the hope of the forgiveness of sin and the amazing grace of God when we lay our hearts open before the Lord. Last week, we saw in Scripture that there's hope even for the underdog in the moments of life, when they seem larger than life, when they seem undefeatable, that God has great grace and even hope through His promises in and for the underdog. So this morning, we're going to learn about one of the most difficult places to find hope, and that is in doubt, the hope, the hope of the doubter. Have you ever heard a piece of information that you had a hard time believing was true? It's almost like it was too good to be true. Um, maybe it seemed so outlandish that you had a doubt. Maybe it seemed too good to be true, and so it made you kind of a skeptic. But uh, this morning, then, just by way of exercise, I want to pose some questions to you, and I want you to decide if you trust it or you doubt it. If you trust it, I want you to raise your hand, and if you doubt it, I want you to keep your hand down. So if you trust it, what are you going to do? Okay, let's, let's try it. If you trust what I'm going to say, then you're going to raise your hand. Okay, so let's raise our hand. If you trust it, if you don't trust it, okay, so if you trust it, 
Some of you are not even trusting what we're doing here. That this, this message is for you. All right. So here it is. I'm going to ask you a question. If you trust it, uh, then you put up your hand. Okay. Did you know that every day on average, 11 banks are robbed in the United States? If you trust it, put your hand up. <laughs> All the cops are like, yeah, we know. If you trust it, put your hand up. That's a true statement. On average, 11 banks in the United States are robbed every day. Um, did you know that you're more likely to be stung by a bee in windy weather when it's windy outside? If you trust it, raise your hand. You trust it? Well, y'all are wrong. They, they, actually, that's not true. So I'm not trying to make you a skeptic. I'm just proving a point. Did, did you know that square, <laughs> square watermelons? Did you know that square watermelons in Japan, they, they, they have square watermelons in Japan because they stack better? True or false? True? It's true. I don't know how they get them, but it's true. Right? Did you know that penguins can smell toothpaste from a mile away? So when you're hunting a penguin, no, no, that's against the law. They can, do you believe that or not? Do you trust it? They can smell it from a mile away, penguin. No, they can't, Marcus. You're from Boston. They have penguins there. All right. No, that's Pittsburgh. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, that's false. Now, so, so the idea to understand is this. Doubt has become a common occurrence in our lives. It really has. Yes, we all believe that. Yes. It's become a common occurrence in our lives and within our culture every single day. Um, there are people that we know who have failed us. And that causes us to doubt. There's so much false information shared either on social media or on public media that that causes us to doubt everything that we hear. This past season of COVID has caused many to doubt everything about life. Because underlying it all is, where is God in the middle of all this? Like, why isn't God fixing this so that my life, and you fill in the blank. We can doubt on a variety of a different level. Seeing a world that is full of anger and hurt and pain makes us doubt whether God's even good. People doubt for all kinds of reasons. I would argue that the problem is not doubt itself, but rather how we handle it. It's how we handle doubt. Mishandled skepticism often results in a lack of hope, doesn't it? And we certainly are not alone in this struggle. In fact, after Jesus' crucifixion, his disciples were bewildered and they were fearful because their leader was gone and their hopes for their future had seemingly ended. They were all at some point doubting. In fact, the end of Matthew tells us that they all doubted and Jesus abraded them for their unbelief. It was not until Jesus miraculously began to show himself in his resurrected body that hope would spread among the disciples. Now, Jesus was alive and the very fact that Jesus was alive is what brought hope. Does everybody understand that this morning? If you believe Jesus is alive, do you think you can trust that? Put your hand up if you believe Jesus is alive. Now, we all said that just now. Every one of us said, I trust that Jesus Christ is alive. But have any, has anybody ever seen him? No. You've never seen him, but you just put your hand up that said, I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. Now, mark it. What gave the disciples hope was that they knew Jesus was alive. Which tells us, where's our hope? What's happened to it? The Bible tells us that Thomas had two names in, in Scripture. One is Aramaic, the, the other one is Greek. He is also referred to as Didymus. Thomas is his Aramaic name, Didymus is his Greek name. And they both mean the same thing. It means twin. Now, 
I've read the Bible, I've studied the Bible, I've searched all over. The scripture does not tell us who his twin is. But by virtue of the very character that God reveals, probably all of us could say in here, maybe I'm his twin. Because I kind of have that same, that same character trait. We would even say in a, in a moment of humility, flaw. I, I feel like I could be his twin given a certain time or not, Rachel, because I doubt the Lord. Or I doubt what someone says about the Lord. Or I doubt his word. Come on, everybody understand that? So, so we don't know who it is in scripture, but we could all probably take a spiritual DNA test and say, no, yeah, I remember some time in my life when I just doubted. I understand. Well, as we look at the passage this morning, I want us to consider some important details in the life of what we know as doubting Thomas. And I want to see if we can learn anything from his life. Would you take your notes with me this morning? By the way, does anybody have an outline? If you don't have one, raise your hand real quick. We'll see if we can get you one. Oh, good. Everybody's got one. Fantastic. Brother King did a good job. All right. So let's look at number one. If you're taking, out, if you're taking notes with me, number one, first of all, we notice something about Thomas in Scripture at the very beginning, and it tells us this, that Thomas wasn't there. He was absent. So the same day, the day that Jesus rose again from the grave, we know that to be three days after he died on the cross. Three days after Jesus rises from the grave, he, uh, they're, in, uh, they're in a room together, all the 12 of them and others, by the way, and Jesus appears, but Thomas is absent. Now, the context of these verses tells us that he wasn't there with the others when Jesus appeared. But the question is, why wasn't he? Why wasn't Thomas with the other disciples when they met on the evening of the resurrection? Why wasn't he there? We could suppose a couple of things. First of all, maybe he was disappointed. Maybe he was just disappointed. Certainly they were, they were all disappointed to some degree. Uh, was he so disappointed that he didn't want to be with other believers? He was so disappointed that his expectation wasn't met that he wasn't with his friends. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, but isn't that when we need our friends the most? When we're disappointed? When some things happen? Isn't that when we... Need to be around other believers. Solitude only feeds discouragement. You should write that down. Solitude only breeds discouragement and feeds it. Solitude only feeds discouragement and it helps it to grow into self-pity, which is even worse. So maybe it was disappointment. He didn't go. He didn't go where the assembly was. He decided I just can't believe that this has happened. I don't know if there's any hope. I don't know what's going on. And disappointment kept him from being with others. Secondly, maybe he was just afraid. Maybe it was fear. The Bible does say that they were fearful. The Bible does say that. In fact, it says it in the context. But they were together because they were fearful. Now, before you get too hard on Thomas, the Bible declares in John chapter 11 and verse 16, it indicates that he was basically a courageous man. You'll remember Jesus is told about Lazarus and, and Jesus says, well, you know, we're going to go and uh, maybe it, it's not time yet. And then eventually he goes, well, in John eleven sixteen, Thomas is the one called Didymus said unto the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So apparently he we know from scripture that at least at some point he had courage that he was willing to go and die. John 14, 5 reveals that Thomas, when nobody else would ask the tough questions that he was spiritually minded enough and he wanted to know the truth and was not ashamed to ask the questions. In fact, 
John 14 and verse 5 says, Thomas saith unto the Lord. Now remember, in verse 4, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place, and whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto the Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? He asked, and that's when Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. So we're not sure. We know that he would ask the tough questions, that he wanted to know the truth. We know that he was courageous enough to do that. We also know that he was courageous enough to go and die for Jesus. But for whatever reason, he wasn't there with the assembly. For whatever reason, he was absent. We're not sure, but there seems to have been a pessimistic outlook in Thomas. In fact, not only was he absent from the meeting, he was adamant about what he believed to be true. That's number two. Thomas was adamant. Now, what was he adamant about? Well, he was adamant about what the disciples were saying. Well, what were they saying? We'll look back, if you will, in verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord. That's all they said. And, and, and this is what we've seen. We've seen his hands and we saw his side. The Bible says, but he said unto them, except I seen his hands, the print of the nails, to put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. What was it that Thomas would not believe? The reports of other Christians that Jesus was alive. In fact, the verb said in John 20, 25 means, listen, that they kept on saying that it wasn't like one spokesperson spoke up and said, hey, we saw Jesus and someone else said, no, I'm telling you, John, it's they kept saying it over and over and over and over again. They kept saying it. And regardless of how many times eyewitnesses and people that had seen and touched Jesus said, look, Jesus is alive. We need you to know that, Thomas. He said, I'm not going to believe it. He kept on saying that they had seen uh, that, that he would not believe it. No doubt the women also spoke up at some point. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that the two that were on the road to Emmaus that saw Jesus spoke up at some point. But there is nothing that would move his opinion. I will not. This is where we learn about the dangers of doubting, especially doubting the Lord himself. Because remember, he's the one that promised, look, I'm going to lay down my life again, and I have the power to take it up. I'm going to die, but if I'm dead, I can't go to prepare a place for you. And so Jesus had spoken all that. Now, let's learn a couple things about the dangers of doubting. Number one, doubt is an intellectual problem. It's an intellectual problem. What do I mean? Well, think about it. When you doubt, we really want to believe. God has made us that way. We really want to believe. We really do. We want to believe, but our faith is overwhelmed by problems or by questions. If we can't fill in all the blank, cross all the T's and dot all the I's, then it, it's, we're just probably not going to believe it. We, we say this way. Um, I just want to see the science. We say that normally in our favor, but in really, that, that could go all over our life. We, we want to see some more proof before we believe. Now, isn't it interesting? The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But we've turned it into a statistical game. We want to believe, but sometimes our questions overwhelm us, or we're overwhelmed by problems. Um, Peter on the water. He said, this is the qualification. Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee. Jesus said two words, come on. And Jesus, uh, Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. But then 
all of a sudden, something happened to his faith. What was it? Problems. The wind began to wail louder and louder. The storm, the sea, the waves got higher and higher. And all of a sudden, what happened? He began to sink. Gurgle, gurgle. Peter on the water. What about Moses when it came to the future of Israel? Uh, but Lord, uh, but Lord, I just got this question. What am I supposed to, but Lord, what am I supposed to, but Lord, how am I supposed to, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. He, he, and, and God finally said, I am done. Perfect, present, always tense. I am God because of who I am and because of what I'm saying, it's going to happen. See, doubt, doubt is a wanting to believe, but we're seeing too many problems, not having enough questions answered. But we know from Jesus' own words that this was more than doubt. In fact, it was unbelief. What does that teach us? That doubt, unchecked, always leads to unbelief. Always does. Letter B, that means that unbelief is a moral problem. It is immoral to be living in a state of unbelief. And doubt left unchecked always lives there. The Bible says at the end of verse 27, Jesus' words in red, and be not faithless, but believing. You see, we simply, in unbelief, will not believe. Thomas' words help us to understand the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt says, I cannot believe there are too many problems. I cannot believe there are too many unanswered questions. Unbelief says, I will not believe. That's what he said. I will not believe. The end of verse 25. I will not. Not I cannot. I will not believe. Unless you give me the evidence that I asked for. In fact, the Greek text says that there is actually a double negative, and it literally means this. I positively will not believe. That's how adamant Thomas was in not believing that they were all in their right mind. Is it possible that they could all have hallucinated the same thing, being together, and, and, and that they were all saying the same thing, and yet Thomas is... It, you, you see my point? My point is that his doubt brought him to a place... And the disappointment or the fear or whatever it was that got him there, he got him, it got him there. And now he says, I positively will not believe. John 14, 10, Jesus said, believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? That's the verses right after when Philip said, you know, just show us the Father and it sufficeth, it sufficeth us. Look, Jesus, just show us, the, show us the Father. And Philip is the one that said, look, I, I, I don't really know who the Father is. You keep talking about him like we've seen him. And Jesus said, look, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And he mentions the fact, believest thou not. Now, when we doubt, why do we do it? You might want to jot this down somewhere. We doubt normally to protect ourselves. Because we don't want to be let down again. We don't want to be disappointed. We don't want to be hurt. And so, what, what, does, what do circumstances make us? Skeptical. They make us more, not even cautionary. They make us doubt everything until something else disproves our own doubt. You see what I'm saying? And that left unchecked is dangerous because of where it leads. We don't want to believe and hope because we're afraid that God may not even come through. I think sometimes Christians in today's atmosphere think that God is not even big enough to fix COVID. 
We don't, I think sometimes in America, we don't even think that God's big enough to fix America. That it's up to the people to fix America. I will tell you, it is not up to the people. It is up to the almighty creator God himself. If there's any fixing to be done, it will be and will always be and only be by God. Now, either I'm okay with that or I'm not. The fact of the matter is, after this, the Lord clarifies a whole lot of things. Secondly, we see the, or thirdly, we see the Lord's accusation. Jesus heard Tom, uh, Thomas's words. Nobody had to tell him. So the next Lord's day, the Lord appeared in the room and dealt personally with Thomas and his unbelief. And yet he still greeted him with shalom. Boy, what a great thought. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. See, there's no record, by the way, as you go back and read this, there's no record that Thomas ever accepted the Lord's invitation to touch his hands. He never did. (laughs) He didn't need to do what he thought he needed to do in order to believe. Do you hear what I said? Nowhere in the scripture does the Bible say, then Thomas taketh the hand of the Savior and go, now I believe. Because I feel it. You understand? Nowhere does it say, he said, okay, I want to see the sign. And oh, Lord, this must be you. I need a double qualifier. It does not say that. He said, peace be unto you. And then he said, look, I want you to do this. But you could put your hand in my hands and you could put your hand in my side. But don't be faithless. Just believe. When the time came to prove his faith, Thomas needed no more proof. It's almost as if Jesus said, when are you going to finally believe in me, Thomas? Thomas, when are you going to finally understand? Do you actually have to do this, Thomas? Or is my word enough? Is my presence in your life enough evidence that I'm alive? Now, why did Jesus call it what it was what what why why did he say at the end of it uh, in verse 27 be not faithless but believing we call him doubting thomas what he should be is unbelieving thomas and we say well that's doubt no jesus called it what it was he didn't say when are you going to stop doubting me he said when are you going to start believing me doubt is an intellectual problem a lack of faith or unbelieving is a moral problem one says, I cannot. The other one says at the end of verse uh, the end of verse 25, I will not. Jesus immediately comes to him, and though he comes in peace, and though he comes in love, he calls it what it is, and he calls him out on it. Why? Well, letter A, Jesus saw a dangerous process at work, and he wanted to stop it. Jesus doesn't want unbelief to rule in anybody's heart. And Jesus is so concerned that he's willing to do whatever it takes. In fact, he has. He's done everything that it takes to stop the process of unbelief. And the best commentary on that matter of unbelief is written in the book of Hebrews. Do you have Hebrews 3.12? Notice what it says. Take heed, brethren. That word, take heed, is a very, very strong word for listen up, take a look at, you better pay attention with all of your heart. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you 
an evil heart of unbelief. And this is what it leads to in departing from the living God. And here's the answer. But exhort one another daily. Wait a minute. That means that believing or unbelieving is a daily issue. Does everybody understand that? If you believe that's true, raise your hand. Believing is a daily issue. Let's say that again. Believing is a daily issue. He's the one that, that God is the one that said, uh, but exhort one another daily why it's called today. Why? Lest in any of you, uh, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast. Where was Thomas' confidence? It was gone in the loss of a kingdom. It was gone in the loss of a king. And it, nothing was restored by faith until he saw the Lord Jesus resurrected. Jesus saw a process growing in the heart of Thomas. It took seven days until it finally got to a point where it was danger level. And Jesus showed up and said, listen, when are you going to stop being faithless? I want you to believe. And there's no doubt in my mind by the leading of the Holy Spirit, because verses prior to this, the Bible says that Jesus blew on them the Holy Spirit of God. And as he received it, he was taken back to John 14. Listen, I told you, Thomas, one time I was going to go prepare a place. Remember what you said? How can we know the way? Because I wasn't believing. And I said, no, I am the way. And then Philip, remember what he said about me being God? And I said, no, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And now I'm standing before you. When are you going to believe? you got to decide today. Thomas, and you need to be around other believers, Thomas, because when you're the greatest at the greatest level of disappointment or when you're the greatest level of fear, you need others to exhort you and you need to do it daily. Does that kind of make sense? Why? Maybe in Acts chapter two, George, the Bible says, and daily they met in the temple and in house to house and daily they were in prayers and daily they were in the apostles doctrine. Why? Because God doesn't want anybody living in unbelief. Amen. Jesus saw a dangerous process at work and wanted to stop it. Secondly, Jesus pursues the problem in love. Why does God do anything? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Behold, what manner of love the father bestowed upon us. But God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners. There's no doubt if you read the New Testament that God loves us all. And he loves us at our worst, even when we were yet sinners. And even at our best and when we're boasting on our best, he still loves us. Thomas was adamant, I will not believe. But Jesus wasn't afraid of his doubt or or his unbelief, was he? Jesus was not deterred by any of that. He decided to pursue the problem. Reach hither thy finger and behold thy hands. What is he saying? He met Thomas at his unbelief. I cannot believe what you're saying. Jesus said, fine, I'll come to you anyway. I'll do what it takes For you to believe me, I died for your sin. I rose again for your sin. And Thomas, if you need me to show myself again, I will. Hallelujah for that. He pursued him because he loved him. He pursued him in love. Verse 27 says, reach hither thy finger. And Thomas, verse 28, answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. How gracious is God. How gracious is God to stoop to our level of experience in order to lift us where we ought to be? Thomas, here's where you are. This is where everybody else is. And I get it, young man. 
They've seen me. And they were so excited. They just wanted you to believe without seeing. But don't be afraid. I'm here. I want you to have peace. But I want you to be believing. And I want to lift you up to where everybody else is. And I believe with all of my heart that the lesson given there in Scripture is don't be absent. Because I want everybody at the same level of faith. And all God's people said, Amen. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. What a, what a tremendous blessing for believers today to have this passage included in Scripture. What, what an amazing blessing. It's not in any other, any other gospel. But John, the apostle of love, wrote it. God said, John, I don't want you to forget Peter. and I don't want you to forget Thomas. Though they were both unbelieving and they failed at some point, I want you to see that I, I pursue every one of my kids. Because I love them so much, I don't want them to stay in that way. So lastly, let's look at our application. What, what can we take away from this brief encounter with a follower of Christ that has borne a bad reputation for 2,000 years? I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and say, Hey, Doubting Thomas, what's up? Give him a bump. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I think heaven will shed all labels. Yeah. I think heaven will expunge all reputations. Okay. No one's going to look at Peter and go, dude, you're such a denier. I can't believe you did that. No, you know, we all, we've all made light. I've made light of it. There's going to be the longest line in heaven is going to be the one to slap Eve. Okay. But, but that's not going to happen. Because by way of preservation of Scripture, we're all Eve. And we're all Thomas. And we're all David's and we're all Moses's Moses's we're all like Moses right we're all of them all the failures and all the succeeders so what do we take away from this Let, let's let's consider a few things that we're done this morning first of all it's an encouragement to us to know that the Lord had personal interest in and concern for doubting Thomas it should encourage you it means that he also has a personal concern for you and your doubt. What are you doubting? Where is your unbelief? Where has your doubt? Where has your doubt taken you in your Christian experience? God says today by this, I don't care. <laughs> I'm the I'm the prodigal dad. I've been looking down this road, and today I see you. In fact, while you're on the road back to me. I will run to you. The day God ran is the day that you decided to come home. And Thomas was greeted by a loving Savior, not by an abrading Savior. The fact that I use the word accusation simply means that he called light to something that he was guilty of. That's all it was. And that means that Jesus cares about us that way. You may be doubting God's working in our country. You may not believe that God can provide for you and your family. You may not believe that God can save your marriage or bring your prodigal child home. 
You may not believe that God is at work, that he has all things in control and that you can trust him. Even though there are so many problems in the world. Yet the fact that he is alive, the fact that he has overcome sin and death means that you can believe and you should believe. Look at verse 29. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Watch. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The fact remains that God still blesses a faith that does not have to have proof. Except what God says himself. It should encourage you to know that even when you doubt, even when you're discouraged or disappointed, that even when you're in unbelief, that God has a concern for you and wants to save you from that. Secondly, Thomas reminds us that unbelief robs us of blessings and opportunities. Unbelief robs us of blessings and opportunities. When you're around the right people at the right time, Jesus always provides hope, encouragement, and faith to carry on. Always. Always. There's a reason that God brought him back to the fold. There's a reason that it happened while they were together Because God moves when we're together. But exhort one another daily. Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let us, is a together word, hold fast our profession of faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Unbelief. Well, starting at doubt. Moving to an evil heart and a hard heart of unbelief is dangerous. Why? Because it robs us of blessings. It robs us of opportunities. So our faith would encourage someone else. Listen, nobody in here is at the same level of faith. But God doesn't want that to be the same. uh, To be so. He wants us all to have a childlike faith. To simply believe, to simply trust God, if this is right, I'll do it. If you said it, I believe it. If I need to go, I'll go. If I need to give, I'll give. Whatever it is, I want to trust you and obey you. Why? Because that's what faith is. And he doesn't want us faithless. He wants us believing. When are you going to believe me, Thomas? And God says that and he echoes it for 2,000 years. There have been Thomases after Thomases after Thomases that have doubted. And Jesus still pursues them. Is he pursuing you today? Because he sure has been pursuing me this week. And reading and studying about Didymus, my twin. Lastly, the third application is we need to remind ourselves that everybody lives by faith. Everybody. The only difference is the object of faith. That's the only difference. Look down again at verse 29. And and, and it's amazing. Listen to me. What you are reading in the Bible is an incredible passage of Scripture considering what's taken place and the next three verses that we're going to read. Look at verse 29. Or verse 29. Jesus said the name, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now watch verse 30 carefully. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing 
you might have life through his name. Man, if that is not a purpose statement as to why the Bible is written, why we have this book of John, why is the story of Thomas in there? Is so that you don't have to see it to believe it. You can believe it because it's true. The right and the authority of Scripture is that we ought to believe it. That we can trust it. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Do you have that? You do already have it? Okay, good. Romans chapter 5. I didn't know if you had it right. This is the, you could say the summary, the very brief and concise summary of what a Christian life should be. What God has saved you from and for. And this should bring you great hope in the midst of your doubt. Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that for those that may doubt their salvation? I I don't know if I'm saved. How do I know? Did you believe that Jesus was your only hope? Did you call on him to save you? Then on the authority of that promise, you're saved. You've been justified. How? By faith. Verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is that? Lord, can I trust you in my life? Can I trust you that I can stand when everything else around us seems like it's falling? Oh, that verse tells us. Absolutely, you can. Verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience, can we say it together? Hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now remember, in this passage in John, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Ghost. The Bible says here that it's the Holy Ghost that sheds the love of God on our hearts. And here he's saying, by experience, even in your doubt, when you've trusted me and I've been able to help you, what is that supposed to give you for everyday life? Hope. Even for the doubter. I can hope today and tomorrow I can pick up the newspaper and go, what is going on? People have lost their minds. And what's going to happen to us in America? What's going to happen to California? What's going to happen to... I have hope because Jesus is alive. I have hope because by the grace of God, I stand at the throne of grace and mercy and I can have that strength and my inner heart renewed day by day because every day is a choice. I'm either going to doubt or I'm going to believe. Every day. All doubt ceases when we trust the source. All of it. Robert Louis Stevenson, one of, the, one of the greatest novelists of the 20th century, writes of one of his excursions to the South Sea Islands where the ship encountered an incredible and a terrible storm in the belly of the ship. The passengers were frightened and worried that the ship would be lost and they were filled with doubts about their safety. Their hope was fleeting. One of the men finally ventured out into the wind and rain and made his way up to the upper deck when he saw the captain quietly pacing the bridge. 
with a steady and undisturbed face. The story says that he looked out across the sea and then he would give orders to the handling of the ship. Then he turned to the man that was inquiring and he smiled. The man made his way back to the cabin where the other passengers were huddled together in fear. In response to all of their questions, what was it like? What did you see? What is the captain doing? In response to all of their questions, he comforted them by saying, and I quote, I've seen the captain's face and all is well. You see, all doubt ceases when we trust the source. I've seen the captain's face. He knows what he's doing. I know what the wind sounds like. I've seen the waves but I've also seen the face of our captain and we're going to be just fine. When we recognize that Jesus is with us in the middle of our doubts and we realize that he has everything under control, we discover that hope is here and it's only in Christ. All we need to do is look at his face. When's the last time you looked at his face? Discover And realize, recognize the turmoil at what juncture it is today. And realize that Jesus comes to you right there at that intersection. And all he wants you to do is believe him. He doesn't care what's been in the past. What he cares about is what you do today. And today must be a believing day. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you so much for your unending love. Lord, your unconditional love is proved in every book of Scripture. Because in every book of Scripture, seemingly we find a doubter. We find a deceiver. We find all of our problems and our shortcomings, all of our sin. And Lord, we need you so badly. Some of us today in our unbelief, need to come to you, Lord, and maybe need to be saved. Some of us that are saved need to come to you, Lord, in our unbelief. And we need to surrender that to you as sin. And Lord, we need to look in your face. We need to behold the eyes of our captain. And we need to declare by the grace and mercy of God that all is well. It is well with my soul. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I wonder if God spoke into your heart specifically. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, my heart's not well. I need to be saved. I'm a sinner. I know that. I know Jesus is not a sinner. He's the Son of God that He was sent to die for my sin. And without Him, I'm on a condemned path to hell. But I want to be saved today. I don't want to be an unbeliever anymore. The Bible says in Revelation 21a that all unbelievers shall have their place in the fire which burneth with brimstone. This is the second death. I need to be saved today. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? Anybody? I know it. I need to confess it today. I need to be saved. Anybody like that? Just slip up your hand and put it down. I won't come to you, I promise. I won't embarrass you. Christian, if you're here today and you can identify with doubt that could be turning to unbelief, in a moment when we stand, 
would you just make your way to this old-fashioned altar and would you just peer into the precious, sinless, perfect, and powerful face of the Lord Jesus Christ? And would you give him that doubt? Would you be willing to confess and give him that disappointment? Would you be willing to come this morning and look into the captain's face that you can remember and know that that everything's going to be fine? It may not be on this earth, to be honest, but it'll be fine. And that we can trust him. Would you be willing to do that? Would you Would you just take some time this morning and yield that unbelieving heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you stand with me together as we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray now that you'd bless this invitation, the hearts and lives of the people that you've touched, including mine today. God, we, we yield ourselves to you and we recognize that we can only do this life. We can only do all the things that you've asked us to do and commanded us to do through Christ. Lord, Thomas teaches us about the the depravity of our doubt and where it leads us, the dangers of our doubt. Lord, I just pray today that you'd meet these that are here, wherever they are, in a special way of grace, mercy, and love. Please just bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to come this morning, would you come? Would you just find a place right here or, or wherever you are and just kneel before the captain of your salvation? Maybe you could say just to him, Lord, I just need to see your face. You haven't been there in a while. Maybe it's time to actually confess some unbelief. 